Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us uh, on the Blowback Roundtable. I have uh, a couple great guests with us, and our usual co-hosts aren't with us today. Ben, hopefully, may, may pop by a little bit later. But I've got Jeff Brown from Normandy, France, and Leo Zhao is in uh, Berlin, Germany. Um, Jeff, could I could I trouble you to tell me a little bit about uh, yourself so our viewers uh, know where you live and what you're about your work and stuff like that? Yeah, I'm a French American dual citizen. I live in Normandy in Cherbourg. I lived and worked in China for 16 years and it's my second home. I read, speak and write the language. I um, wrote the China trilogy. I am the founder of the Seek Truth from Facts Foundation. I have China Rising Radio Sinoland as my platform, my website. And I also have, have another website called China Tech News Flash. And um, I'm also the, a co-founder and the curator of the Bioweapon Truth Commission. And I'm really happy to be on the show with 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 leo tonight because he's a great friend and a comrade and it's it's a pleasure to be with him tonight so thank you so it's an honor for me jeff to have you on um i i became familiar with your work <coughs> five years ago or maybe even more than that but um your your book about you know china is communist damn it uh that <laughs> That was that was great and, and eye opening. You know, when I was having my political awakening, you know, less than a decade ago, trying to figure things out, um, you know, there's so many uh, narratives about China and, you know, it's hard to figure out truth from facts, <laughs> kind of like, uh, you know, your, your other project. And um, but I think if somebody is genuinely, you know, honestly interested you know, they can get to the bottom of things despite all these false narratives. But uh, you and uh, Godfrey Roberts um and you know a lot of the members of the china's writers group um were very you know helpful in helping me to to you know discern truth from facts so uh it's an honor for for me to have you on the program thank you very much leo it's also an honor but you're always here so i don't uh, i'm not gushing as much about you but um no thank you guys both very much for for coming oh on. you should gush <laughs> no very uh, nice to be here thank you so this is just very interesting times like the times that we're living in right now are historic and momentous you can't you know you can't overstate that enough um you know where do we want to begin um so i like to begin with the title of my program the title of our program today is genocide uh, myth and reality um you know there's a real actual legitimate genocide going on right now before our eyes and yet the West is not only just silent about it, but it's it's supporting it. It's enabling it. Um, and then not long ago, there was a fake genocide that everybody <laughs> wanted to, you know, everybody in the West wanted to promote and get everybody agitated about and riled up about. And it wasn't even an actual, you know, an actual genocide. So um, how can we how can we understand that? How can we, um, you know, how can we? rationalize these two different narratives and and what's what's going on leo well i would just like to ask all of the liberals who buy into the fabricated genocide in uh xinjiang china 
um, for which all of the Muslim majority countries have applauded, um, have denied. They have all of the Muslim majority countries in the world have applauded China's response and solution to the very real problem of jihadist, separatist, fundamentalist terrorism in, in China. Um, but um, I would just like to ask all of the liberals who are pro-Palestine, right? Because this issue has been very well exposed in the West and a lot of information has come out over the years due to the hard work of Palestinian activists um, and many other things. And also just the fact that it's been going on for 75 years. So Western leftists and progressives know more about Palestine. And there's a, a big, significant faction that is pro-Palestine, right? Uh, but who, most of whom buy into the fabricated fake genocide in Xinjiang, right? I would just like to ask all of these people and some of my friends and former friends, um, <clears throat> uh, uh, you know, how they, make, how they make sense of all of the Western states absolutely supporting 100% using the same language as they do Ukraine all the way, whatever it takes, we will support Israel, right? Supporting this literal genocide, gruesome, brutal, thousands of people uh, killed a day, uh, injured and killed a day right now. Um, how do they square that with the Western states supporting a full-on genocide in front of the eyes of the world, the cameras of the world? and the rivers of tears that they cry for Muslims in Xinjiang, right? I mean, it, it's literally not, uh, no amount of uh, mental gymnastics can square that. It's literally uh, the same states cry for Muslims in Xinjiang, and they at the same time support the genocide of Muslims in Palestine. Uh, yeah. I don't know uh, how they do it. And you know what? We should have invited a liberal here, but we don't have one. <laughs> um, but that's the problem. That's the problem with um, with liberals. And um, it's the hypocrisy of Western imperialism. I'd like to it's ideology. Say, I would just like to say that, you know, the, this whole Xinjiang thing, the CIA with George Soros created the East Turkmenistan you know, free, uh, free republic to, that's supposed to with a, with a baby with a sky blue flag and everything. And of course, they've, they've got they've got offices in Washington and London and Paris and Berlin, and they get millions of dollars in uh, NGO money. And uh, one one of their and they, they have a flag and a website and one of their quote representatives went to the went to New York and at the UN and in the and and in the empty assembly hall of the UN it could have been at two o'clock in the morning for all I know gave this speech claiming that at that point I think they were saying two or three hundred thousand two or three hundred thousand Xinjiang people <coughs> were living in gulags, <coughs> blah, 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 blah. That was taken. Of course, it got registered in 
unfortunately, all that gets registered in the United Nations logbook, you know, as, as, an, as an official speech. The next day, of course, the lockstep brown shirt, Jack booted, Western media took it and everywhere, thousands of outlets around the world simultaneously. And it wasn't before long, you know, just blasting out genocide, you know, gulags in Xinjiang. That's how that's how the West works. By the time they got finished, you know, it had been, it had been inflated to two million. And as Leo pointed out, every majority Muslim country has visited Xinjiang and loves what China's doing. There's 25,000 mosques in China. There are like six. Well, yeah, well, 25,000 total. There's, I mean, I don't know how many there are, but most of them are in Xinjiang, about 20,000. There's six, there's six of them in Shenzhen, which is about as far away as you can get from, from Xinjiang. You can go, you can go to a mosque. My wife and I lived 300, 200, 300 meters from a mosque in Beijing. If you're a Muslim, you can you can pray, you can pray. So anyway, I I actually haven't published it yet, but a guy from the U.S. consulate last year was having a meeting, a trade meeting. He was in the in the commercial, the trade portfolio. And one of the American businessmen raised his hand and made a complaint about the fact that they had banned cotton from Xinjiang because he was obviously in the clothing business or the, or the textile business, and he was not happy. Well, this guy, with his Chinese um, employee from the, from, the, from the consulate, U.S. consulate in Guangzhou, was caught saying in front of everybody, listen, we know it's not true what's going on. And, you know, the, the, this is not really, really going on in Xinjiang. We know it's not true. But we need to use this. We need to use this to put pressure, to put pressure on the Chinese government, you know, for regime change. And he actually said that in this group, in this, in this commercial meeting on WikiLeaks, there are cables from the U S embassy in Beijing back to Washington, clearly stating it's a lie. It's a lie. They know it's a lie. So everybody knows it's a lie, but don't tell that to CNN and BBC and, you know, the Washington Post and <coughs> what I call yeah. the, the big lie propaganda machine. It's not it's not the truth that matters. It's to destroy the communist socialist way of life of the of the Chinese people. That's the goal. Nothing else matters. So it's interesting how um, they they used the pretext of this UN speech, and that gave a license for all the Western media, you know, the whole apparatus to shift into gear and start proliferating this uh, narrative. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's that's exactly how it works. And it works, you know, I mean, you can look at any number of false narratives um, that the media just runs with. And it's always, it's there's one, there's a new one every day, it seems. Um, yeah, facts don't matter. It's about emotion, right? It's about a feeling that they create um, among Western populations to be against China to to have an emotional response to uh, communism, to socialism, and to to China. Um, I mean, the facts are very easily verifiable. Everything that we are saying, Google, anyone who has Google can Google how many mosques are in China and in Xinjiang, um, thousands and thousands. Anyone with Google can see, I mean, new Uyghur fashion designers, right? that just made a big splash in, in uh, the fashion industry in Asia, right? There are these like amazing photos of brand new or not brand new, but like new stars in the fashion business. Uh, the runway shows in Xinjiang, there's the uh, thriving pop music, electronic dance music culture in Xinjiang, right? Uh, there's like new pop music coming out of Xinjiang that sounds like a Turkish Chinese version of Depeche Mode, some of the songs. Some of the songs, it is really good music. Wow. I, I'm a DJ myself. I play um, some some of it in my sets, and I have some of it uploaded on, on my SoundCloud. Um, but it's it's just, I mean, remember the amazing Jewish pop music industry in 1930s Germany? <laughs> it, I, <laughs> it did I not. Exist. It doesn't <laughs> exist. I, I'm making a facetious, <laughs> sarcastic joke. I mean. Uh, you know, it, uh, a people that is so that are so oppressed that they are making next level twenty first century hyper modern uh, traditional and traditional um, dance music. It's just ludicrous. And tourism yeah. has, has tourism has bloomed in, yeah, in, yeah. in the recent five years. Something like uh, something like two million people. I don't remember the numbers. Visit Xinjiang every year. Um, and so, you know, the, the facts are out there. There's, uh, you know, hundreds, thousands of videos on YouTube. You know, people are uploading them. YouTube can delete them because many of the Xinjiang accounts have been deleted by YouTube of Xinjiang Uyghur residents showing what their daily life is and just deleted by YouTube. But there are still hundreds, thousands of videos of people celebrating Muslim holidays, dancing in the streets. I mean, just pure good vibes, right? Just like hundreds of people dancing to their traditional music in the streets, smiles everywhere, right? Now, imagine like the mood of this in the streets of a place where people are oppressed, systematically oppressed, right? Never mind concentration camps and genocide. Like, let's just say like people are systematically oppressed. It would. What would the streets feel you, like? You must be talking about Europe and uh, the United States. Detroit. <laughs> yeah, like, Detroit. It would feel like Detroit. Like <laughs> that's <clears throat> and just sorrow and loneliness, and the streets would be just, you know. Uh, I mean, but watch these videos from Xinjiang. There are hundreds, thousands of them. So what what was going on? We already mentioned earlier that there was a separatist group that was being funded by the U.S. and, uh, you know, supported. um, And they had an ideology. They had one of these um, ISIS-like, intolerant, Wahhabist, non-Muslim. I mean, you know, they called themselves Muslims, but it's a perversion of Islam. 
And this was the ideology that the U.S. was promoting and funding. Now, I've heard that, um, you know, Uyghur Muslims have been practicing uh, winemaking in China for a thousand years. And these this new strain of ISIS like Muslims was chopping the hands off of Muslim winemakers because, you know, they didn't appreciate you know, them, them brewing alcohol or, or making wine. So it's not like these separatists had, had broad-based support in the province of uh, Xinjiang. How do you say that? I, Xinjiang. 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 Thank you. Xin, Xinjiang. 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 Yeah, much better. Oh, well, Hen Hao. Hen Hao. Very good. All right. So the, uh, you know, the, um, this, this movement that the U.S. was promoting was <laughs> engaging in legitimate acts of terror. And there was many big, huge terrorist actions that resulted in, you know, well, hundreds well, of deaths. So during my, the Olympics- my, my, my wife and I were living there when it happened. We were living there in 2010, 2012. During that period when, you know, these black, they tra- they were training them in Iraq <coughs> and, and Afghanistan and, and, and Afghanistan and other countries. And, you know, that's, that's that is no man's land out there. I mean, there's no way you can guard the border. I mean, there's the Tarim Basin and there's and there's mountains, there's mountain, there's mountain ranges and. And and even Afghanistan physically connects with the uh, physically connects with China at the Khyber Pass, so it's impossible to guard the, the Chinese border. And so what they and, and these people were coming in. There was, there was oh we have Quen Ming, yeah. I remember we were one in Quen Ming where they black suits and you know turbans and stabbing people with knives and, and swords. Well, once. Once China, once, you know, China, <coughs> at that point, I even wrote about this. They they realized that all that Saudi money, all that Wahhabi, all that Wahhabi money pouring into all these thousands of mosques in, in, in China was poison. And that they were being infected with um, Wahhabist um, extremist Muslim ideology, and it, and it's not just Muslims. There's there's Catholic there's Catholic extremists. You know, I mean, there's uh, it's not just not just and obviously Jewish extremists too. And um, so anyway, they went in and they got into all the mosques, got rid of all the ideology out of all all the mosques, and realizing that they really couldn't guard the border that well, they decided to internally, internally make the people reject. Because those when those for those people to have gotten to Quinn Ming, they had to have help internally. They, they, they didn't just get on a I mean they had to have help. And so the Chinese government decided to really push, you know, nationalism, patriotism, uh, you know, you know, civilizational uh, behavior, etc. Massive campaigns, and that's what they were using these photographs of people in a classroom 
who were learning about civilizational, you know, China, etc., cetera, uh, and using those photos to say they were in, that they were in prison camps. Well, I can't remember when the last one was. Quinn Ming was, was one of the last big ones in, I think, 2012 or 2013 or something like that. How many internal terrorist attacks has China Muslim inspired and well, actually any, any, actually any other than some disgruntled parents and stuff that does happen where, uh, you know, a guy goes off and stabs some kids at a school and stuff, but that's, that's more mental illness than anything else. But in terms of organized Muslim terrorist acts in China since 2013, how many has China with 1.5 billion people and is as big as China and is as big as Canada and the United States? How many attacks have they had? More than 2,000. Oh, no. oh yeah, since then. You mean since yeah. then? Yeah. Zero. 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 And yes, you, don't the, think, you, 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 don't, you don't think the Uyghurs don't like what is going on? Do you think they liked all those attacks and, and all that crap? The Uyghurs are loving it. I mean, yes. they're, they're they're getting rich. Their yes. their their annual growth rates like ten percent a year. Yeah. So they, all the, all these videos of how developed and rich Xinjiang has become, how prosperous. Uh, I mean, um, according to to the UN and according to Human Rights Watch, there has been no um, abnormal influx of refugees from China to any of the surrounding five. Muslim majority countries that border that border Xinjiang, right? It's a, a bus ride away. You were talking about there's no way to to patrol the borders. Um, it also goes the other way, right? Like if uh, Uyghurs wanted to escape China, they can very easily just, they take walk, a bus, walk, walk across the border. Exactly. There are five um, Muslim majority countries that border Xinjiang, and um, in the since the 90s up until the the uh, educational and economic development program, which eradicated the problem. There were 2,000, more than 2,000 terrorist attacks in, in China from these uh, um, CIA and NED ultimately funded uh, extremists. And I, I have to point out, one of the educational programs um, of the Communist Party in eradicating this problem was to read the Koran, was to uh, to um, teach the Quran to uh, people who are infected with uh, Wahhabism and, and extremist mm -hmm. Islam um, to 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 show them like no you know what you believe in is a a sick perverted version that's not Islam so reading of the Quran was part of the educational mm -hmm. program that that China uh, implemented. So we uh, know uh, that. Go ahead. I just want to point out that before they started this massive campaign in Xinjiang to, and, and, and there's nothing wrong. I mean, if you want to call it re-education, fine. I mean, it, it, that, that has Orwellian overtones for Westerners, but the people needed to be re-educated. They needed to, they needed to go back to school like, uh, like Leo's talking about. And, and before these, these, these terrorists would infiltrate, you know, across, you know, through the mountains and everything. Well, there were there were enough sympathizers in country 
you know, who would listen to their crap that could get them to cities like Beijing and Quinming and, you know, Guangzhou and, and other places like that. Now, if those guys try to come across, they can't, they can't, they can't, they can't get a football field further inside China because the Xinjiang people are going to go, Hey, here they are. So it's <laughs> come been, come it's and been get a, them. <laughs> a successful response to this legitimate problem. Um, if the U S was going to be um, consistent with how they're dealing with Israel, they would have declared openly China has a right to defend itself. And we're going to ship all kinds of arms to China so they can carpet bomb the province. Like that would have been consistent from the West. But instead of doing that, you know, they want to pretend that this tremendous response, the correct response to that kind of a thing, which is really to flood the province with um, opportunity and prosperity and flood it you know, with, with development and, and money for industries and to create jobs, to educate the people, teach them a, um, a trade, you know, like that's the best response you could possibly do, win hearts and minds, and that's what they did. But the U.S. claims that's a genocide. Meanwhile, Israel has a right to defend itself, and, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to hand them all the bombs they need to carpet bomb Gaza. It's just, it's so... So evil, um, especially especially with the Belt and Road Initiative. You know now, now Xinjiang. You know between East China, you know coastal China, and the rest of Asia, Russia, you know, and 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 and, and all points beyond, all the way to Europe. Xinjiang is now just, I mean, throbbing with economic activity because it has yeah. become a nexus. It's become a nexus for all the railroads and <coughs> and other electrical, you know, high power lines, telecommunications, everything, you know, spanning spanning <coughs> across Asia. So, yeah, there yeah. I'm going to go back. Yeah. My next trip, maybe not my next trip, but my trip after. I I've, I've been to Xinjiang and I want to go back and um and do an, and, and maybe spend a month there and do a report. So, I will go. Uh, yeah, please come back on our program and share your <laughs> share what you saw. Um, so th that's exactly right. Their future, I mean, right now, the, the efforts of development and bringing prosperity have been tremendously successful. They've won hearts and minds. But this is only the beginning. Like, I mean, because of their location, their geographic location, right at the beginning of this Belt and Road going all over the planet, um, the future is 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 super bright. So, I mean, good for the people of that province. And again, that's, that's the proper way to deal with these kinds of um, problems. And, um, I, you know, the, the US and Israel, what if Israel would have just flooded Gaza with development and aid? Do you think there would be people trying to break out of that concentration camp and kill Israelis? I don't, I don't think so. No. No, and I just want to point out also the same thing with Tibet and the same thing with Mongolia. Um, something like 86, 90, 90% of Tibetans speak Tibetan language and can read and write Tibetan language. And it is taught in the schools. Um, 
by you know by contrast how many uh cherokee in the u.s uh speak their original language um you know and and also you know just zoom out this is has always been the socialist uh <clears throat> way of doing things right giving people ethnic minorities not not only autonomy and sovereignty giving them you know uh self-determination education economic development um you know uh i'm talking about the soviet union in in all of the ethnic minorities under the soviet union enjoyed massive economic development right uh completely completely opposite of the policies of the tsarist regime in russia before the the, the communist revolution completely overturned that the soviet state uh, <laughs> <laughs> funded the creation of alphabets for many of the ethnic minority languages in China in, too, China too, China as well. Massive funding for revival of and and protection of ethnic minority cultures. This is this is uh, consistent with all of the socialist countries, and the West has always um, told lies about socialist countries and how they, you know, uh, right now in Berlin, it's absolutely sick. I personally know people, fr uh, uh, in particular, a uh, Boryat, um, one Boryat who is a successful artist, and he's invited to Germany, and he lives here now, and he's you know given grants to produce uh, shows about the colonization of his people by the Soviet Union, by by Russia. It it is absolutely disgusting, it, 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 and this guy, you know, he gets. He gets a lot of love and a lot of money of for doing this stuff. And he's just like, I'm like, okay, right here on Wikipedia, it even says that your language, the Boryat language, the script was created, was funded by the Soviet Union. So how is that cultural genocide? Like, I don't, how? And he has no answer. He just said, well, you know, the, maybe they funded our language, but, you know, they uh, oppress us and I do want to point out that go ahead, Leo, if you want to finish. No, 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 go, go ahead. I do want to point out that the the Chi I, I call the Chinese government Baba Beijing because it's paternalistic, it's Confucius and very paternalistic. So Baba Beijing, when when the when the CIA rigged, you know the the attack in Lhasa, the capital of Tibet, in March of two thousand eight as a way to try to trigger a massive boycotting of the games. And it was so patently done by the CIA. It was so obviously done by the CIA. It didn't work. You know, of course, the 2008 Olympics will go down in history as one of the, in Beijing, will go down in summer Olympics. will go down in history as one of the greatest Olympic uh, events ever. But that they realized at that point that their policy of promoting Tibetan language at the expense of Chinese was a mistake. And, and, I mean, it was just all Tibetan. There was very, very little Chinese after grade school. And so they realized Tibet was coming in online. High-speed trains were coming in and airports were being built and, 
you know, Tibet was becoming another, you know, Xinjiang. But these poor Tibetans couldn't find jobs because they couldn't speak Mandarin properly and read and write Mandarin properly. So that's that socialist ideal about pre preserving minority cultures is, is just as big in China as Leo's talked about in the Soviet Union. And I've written about it in my books. They're spoiled rotten. They get anything they want. Whatever they ask for, they get. You know, because <laughs> the Chinese government wants them to be happy. They're spoiled. And, yeah, the, and <laughs> those policies make make Western affirmative action pale in comparison. Yeah. And so, so let me just go ahead and finish. So then they went on to a massive learn Chinese campaign and the adults who had already gotten out of school and in the last in the last you know 10 years they've done a remarkable job now the curriculum is more balanced they they, they speak read and write tibetan perfectly but now they also speak read and write chinese perfectly and and so the, the, that you know i just want to point that out and now and now because of that you know Tibetans are, you know, joining corporations and businesses and, uh, you know, all over the, all over China, you know, all over China. They, they can, they're now being able to go outside of Tibet and get jobs around the country, work for China, you know, work for companies, you know, so because, because now they speak, read and write uh, Chinese. So uh, anyway, I just want to make that, that, that yeah. comment. There's uh, 1.4, 1.5 billion people in China. 92% of them are the Han um, majority. Is that true? Mm -hmm. And then there's like 38-ish recognized. Um, 55. Okay. 55 recognized uh, minority, ethnic minorities. And they get special treatment, like you guys are saying, um, <clears throat> which is, you know, which it, it, within socialism, there's a long history of that, you know, from Lenin you know, protecting and promoting these individual cultures and celebrating them, you know, um, under the umbrella of socialism. And that's just patently different from the West's approach. So the West sees these differences as ways to divide societies, to weaken societies and to further their, you know, their imperialist interests. And, and that's just the card they play over and over and over again, everywhere, you know, Western imperialism has, has, um, you know, sought to further its interests. Oh, so, just mentioned just mentioned Native Americans, yeah. Aborigines in Australia. I mean, it's just just been totally. They weren't genocide. treated so well. <laughs> Understatement of the century. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> we've got some. Um, we've got some clips we can play and and discuss. I know Leo. Um, uh, thought this uh, Norman Finkelstein clip was interesting. I, I found one um, from Glenn Greenwald about some, uh, some some Zionists in in New York just expressing, you know, some really um, Nazi-like, um, you know, thoughts. Um, should we try and see if we can? That's, that, that's because Zionism is fascism. I mean, it's, there's no difference. Yeah, we can we can talk about the roots of uh, Zionism and also of the Jewish state a little bit, and also of the Hebrew language, and also in terms of ethnicity, like the construction, the arbitrary, totally cynical construction of the Jewish identity, 
that is uh, absolutely uh, integral to the colonial fascist project. But we can deal with that a little bit. But if you want to play those clips, play yours first, and then the okay. normal frequency if you want see. to, if you want to play them. Fuck Palestine! Palestine to my dick! Kill all Palestinians, all of them. Not one left from the river to the sea, Palestine will be deceased. And Israel need to do like this. You see? Now Gaza. Like this. Gaza need to do like this. Oh, oh, like this, but all this, Jewish. Two options. What do, you, what do you think the response should be to, to Gaza? We gotta think? wipe them off the fucking that's map. It, I'm talking about yeah. every fucking flat them like a parking lot. Yeah, wait, they're flatting them out. Once they're there's through, not, 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 nothing else you can do. They they proved to they proved to us that they, there's nothing else you can do. We tried, and we tried everything. It doesn't work. Uh, let's. That's probably you get the you get the gist. Um. <laughs> Is that true? Did Israel just try everything? Did they just bend over backwards? Is that is that true? Well, I'd like to point out that this genocide, I mean, people are, you know, it's 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 popular to talk about, you know, 1948 <coughs> when <coughs> the United States and Britain forced the creation of Israel on the world. But it really, really goes back to 1917 <clears throat> to the Balfour Declaration. And that was basically when the Rothschild, the Rothschilds, which is, a, you know, the, the Jewish, Jewish banking family that controls non-socialist, communist, global banking, signed with the United States and with Britain, declared that there will be a Jewish state created in what was it? <coughs> in Palestine in Palestine immediately <coughs> money started in 1917 yeah money started flowing in Jews started pouring in they have been stealing raping exterminating Palestinians, not not since the forty-eight, not since the sixty-seven war, not since nineteen forty-eight. A hundred, you see, seventeen, a hundred and six years. This genocide has been going on. So, but we've really tried everything. I mean, they have been, they have, and of course this, and I'm I'm sure Leo knows a lot more than I do about it. But it just goes the the Jewish Torah, which is basically the the Old Testament sanctions all approves all this. You know, we are not the three of us are not are not even we're subhuman. We're subhumans. You know, we're, we don't deserve to live because we're not Jewish. So the Jew, the Jewish holy book, the, the, the Torah sanctions stealing, piracy, rape, plunder, genocide, extermination. It's all perfectly legal in order to preserve in order to in order to preserve the jew you know, the jewish the jewish people so 
I have no sympathy for the Jewish. I have no sympathy for Israel. I have no sympathy for, you know, and and and, and I, I keep seeing this. Well, remember, not all Jewish people are Zionists. Well, tell that to the poor Palestinians who are being slaughtered like dogs. Do they really care? Anyway. Yeah, Leo, um, Leo. for sure. Average um, <clears throat> Israel are complicit to an extent, but, you know, um, we we should make a distinction between the Jewish religion and Zionism, a, a, a very big difference, because those um, extreme, those, those uh, extremely ethnocentric and uh, violent passages exist not only in the Old Testament of, of the uh, Jewish religion, but also in Christianity and also in Islam as well, right? Um, these uh, Abrahamic religions all come from a time 2000 roughly years ago, or Islam is younger, but, um, all, you know, they all contain passages like this as well as very humanist and very, uh, uh, communal sort of, uh, ideas in them. Um, but you know, the, the Jewish religion being the oldest, right. Um, the historical development is such that it was perhaps the most uh, patriarchal um, and the most uh, extreme in, in, in some of these aspects. But again, like I think we should definitely make a distinction between Zionism and the Jewish religion. Um, I think this is very important because Zionism is entirely a fabrication. It's entirely a construct of the colonial powers. Uh, it, it's from its inception. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not an expert by, by any means. I've only recently started, started researching and studying these things, but the Hebrew language was uh, consciously, deliberately created uh, very, very recently in the 20th century hmm. um, using Yiddish, um, some aspects of the old language, um, but combined with other things and um you know it's the 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 thing itself the the language is a sort of a, a a very modern construct and you know we have to bring in a little bit of ethnicity i don't want to go too deep into it but what we think of as as jewish people uh, as an ethnicity doesn't exist it is a religion it is a culture right if you want to talk about semitic peoples right the people living in Israel are not Semitic, like the vast majority of them. They are Europeans. They have European blood. They have European ethnicity that were moved there, um, and they are the upper crust, right? They are the, they are all the landowners are all you know they look white, um, and the more brown, the darker skinned Jewish people from Ethiopia, from uh, North Africa, North Africa, from from everywhere. Um, are run the shops they you know they have small businesses and the the ones from africa tend to be service sector workers it is um absolutely a racist state within israel and of course the palestinians are the lowest and um have like none of the rights that israeli jewish israelis enjoy so from its inception like please i would encourage all of the viewers uh, to research into the creation of the Hebrew language 
and oh, also the, the wholly arbitrary ethnic category that is Jewish, um, that that has been created in a very cynical um, way. Now, also, you know, just to expand on the this the Zionist entity and its history, right? I uh, was listening to Ben Norton, a very good program very recently about Israel's footprint all over South America since its inception in the uh, 50s, I think, uh, or late 40s, was it? But they have been funding, arming, and training paramilitary right, right-wing death squads all over South America. Israel, the IDF, has been training these uh, paramilitary uh, with funding from the CIA to exterminate indigenous people in South America, in Guatemala, in uh, Honduras, in uh, Colombia, all over in Chile, all over South America, uh, exterminating indigenous people, burning down thousands of uh, villages of indigenous people. <coughs> massacring mass murdering leftists by the by the tens hundreds of thousands for decades and decades right um and of course in africa as well the idf has been doing these kinds of activities all over the world um and you know from every angle that we look at zionism itself it's not uh just like wahhabism is a perversion of the of the quran uh, Zionism is a sick, anti-Jewish uh, ideology. It is a fascist colonial entity from its inception, and it is nothing but. So I've um, I've written a, a few things on Facebook, and uh, to that to your point, Leo, um, you know, Zionism began around the turn of the century between the 1800s and 1900s. And, um, you know, Theodore Herzl convened the first Zionist Congress in Basel, Switzerland in 1893. But it was predicated on this pseudo-scientific understanding of race. And it was predicated on this, on this false understanding that Jews are a race that have these intractable genetic differences from non-Jews. And they can't assimilate. And efforts to assimilate Jews with non-Jews are always going to end in... Jewish suffering and and Jewish people, you know, um, being being oppressed by their Gentile neighbors. So the solution to that was to make their own state. Unfortunately, they wanted to make their own state in a in a in a region that was ninety five percent non Jewish. So from the very beginning, um, you know, Zionism was not going to um, accomplish anything without terrorism, ethnic cleansing, and land theft. So terrorism, ethnic cleansing, and land theft are inherent. To, Juda- to Zionism, not Judaism, to Zionism. But um, yeah, before they, um, the, the, the British, mostly the British, uh, carved out a piece of Palestine for to, to establish Israel, um, there were at least two prior attempts or ideas, um, plans to establish a Zionist state in other parts of the world. I'm pretty sure the first one was Uganda. There was yeah, an attempt to establish a, uh, a Zionist state in Uganda. And then in the 1930s, uh, uh, during, during, uh, before the, the war broke out, before the 
World War II broke out. There was a pact. This I just learned about recently. There was a pact, uh, a plan that didn't go through, but there was a plan between the Japanese colonizers and the Zionists um, called the Pufferfish Plan. And it was uh, that the, the Japanese, the, the idea was that after J Japanese successfully colonizes all of China, that they would give the Zionists a piece of China um, in, in what is today Manchuria or, or what it was called Manchuria to establish a Zionist state. So this idea didn't, didn't go through, um, but th those were some previous attempts to establish this fascist colonial but, tool. Uh, of the also, Mad Madagascar was looked at. Uh, to play a little bit of the devil's advocate, and I'm now I'm kicking myself that I didn't get it, but I met another China Writers Group member, Amir Khan, who's a professor at Hunan University in uh, Changsha, China. We, we spent a few days together and traveled around together. And, and he mentioned it. He mentioned a book, and I should have written it down. He mentioned, a, he said this book really was amazing. I think it was a Canadian writer. And it was a history of the Jewish people going back to 2000 BC or 15. Well, Abraham supposedly lived about 1500 BC. So it, it was basically a history of the Jewish people. Of course, you know, Abraham left Mesopotamia after a civilizational collapse there and wandered around the desert in his sheepskin and his camel skin tent and finally, you know, landed in, in you know, Palestine, et cetera. But he, he, and, and Amir's, and I'm really sorry, I, I can't give it to you tonight. And I asked him for it. And we've had email problems. And anyway, now I'm kicking myself for not getting it. But he said that this guy points out that, this guy points out that the Jew, it, in order to survive, this, the Jews have always been a minor, a, a, a tiny minority. I mean, they're only 2.4 or 1.8 percent of the of the American people. So they've always been a minority everywhere they've been. They've always been a tiny minority. And he pointed out and just showed case after case after case that the that the that the Jewish people learned how to survive by pitting the the majority of people against each other, fomenting fomenting discontent, you know, between between the bigger groups, you know, to, so that they would ignore them and, and, and not do anything against them. Uh, and anyway, so I just I, I do want to try to get the book and read it. But, um, you know, creating wars outside of them and let everybody else slaughter each other so that they could survive has been a a survival tool for the Jewish people you know, for, th for thousands of years. And I'm sorry, I don't have the name of the book, but I'll try to get it and send it to you. And just to uh, go, go uh, continue that train of thought, the, the Jewish uh, culture, cultural uh, uh, category uh, of Jewish people have been repeatedly victimized in, in, uh, since Rome or even before Rome, right? And, and it is true that, that they were forbidden to take other jobs to, to have to own businesses and to have other jobs uh, other than uh, banking. And that is one of the reasons, that is the primary reason why a lot of uh, Jewish people in Europe did go into money lending. Um, 
because they because they were discriminated against, and this fact fed into the Nazi racist uh, idea of Jewish bankers and they control the world, which still persists today. Um, I mean, there's an element of truth in that, but it doesn't mean what the fascists mean, right? And there is a, a larger point here that anti-Semitism, of course, does exist. Anti-Jewish racism, of course, has been a major force in Europe uh, through the centuries. And uh, with the establishment of capitalism, right, a lot of social dissonances, conflicts, and contradictions arose. People were unhappy. People were broken up from their families. People were uh, exploited brutally since the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, 1900s. And all of the contradictions of capitalism that has victimized people were blamed on the Jews. This is, I think, the central point that why anti-Semitism is a little bit different or a lot different from uh, other kinds of racism in that all of the emerging contradictions of capitalism was blamed solely on the Jews, scapegoated on the people that were more or less forced into banking professions. And they were uh, successful. They're smart people. Um, so I just wanted to point out the origin of this idea that Jews control the world and they control the banks and all of these, these ideas. They've caused all the wars. That's kind of what, um, you know, Hitler accused communism of being a, you know, a Jewish plot for global domination. And um, so, yeah, there, you know, it's, it's, it's a complex. Sickening. It's complex, but it's absolutely sickening. And especially with what we were talking about earlier, um, you know, the, the establishment, uh, the, the, the uh, construction of the Jewish racial identity, which is wholly arbitrary, right? And um, the creation of the Hebrew, modern Hebrew language and the establishment of the Zionist state. And I mean, knowing all of this, right, just makes this, you know, Jews control the world idea even more stupid. <laughs> it's just completely ludicrous. So I guess, I guess before then, the Torah must have been in Latin and Greek. It must have been, if it wasn't in Hebrew, it had to have been in Latin or Greek. No, I mean, y Yiddish uh, existed. Okay. Uh, for, but for I'm, talking to, I'm talking about 2,000 years ago. Yeah, I'm, I guess, I'm not I guess sure. The, I guess the Torah had to have been either in Greek or Latin because that's what the Bible was in. Yeah, probably. So, I mean, back uh, then, there was, in 2,000 years ago, there was no distinction between uh, Christians and, and Jews except for religion. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're all Semitic peoples. Uh, they're all Semitic peoples in that region of the world. Ben, thank I, you for joining us. Uh, hey, sorry I'm late, guys. I just wanted to hear it out. I didn't want to interrupt a really, hey, really ben. interesting conversation. Hey, guys. Jeff, first I want to congratulate you, not just on the great book, but the foreword from one of my personal heroes, I think, uh, Andre Vlicek, <laughs> for getting that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one, of my good, one of my good friends, great friends. Rest in peace. Oh, absolute role model uh, for me, that guy. But I where, thought this was interesting. The, where, um, do you the, where do you live, Ben? I'm just curious. I'm in Hungary where this trope is used oh, all the okay. time with George Soros, you know, who is an oh, actually okay. hugely damaging person. But everybody yeah. in Hungary thinks that's anti-Semitism from the Orban government, you know, because we don't like Soros. So it's been used all the time. 
What I found interesting is, yes, uh, anti-Semitism, you know, they poisoned the wells and all that. That predates uh, capitalism, you know, that, that came from the, the Western European nation states. And it was all, you know, uh, even during feudalism, they had to get, you know, uh, sort of the modern artisanal service jobs in the cities, I guess, uh, the urban centers. They weren't laboring out in the fields. And, and a lot of that, um, which, you know, existed from the, the just the average working people for them, that envy, that already got weaponized uh, be before the it actually took off, you know, and and took the took the world uh, into one empire or the other. But yeah, very interesting, very ancient. Uh, not sure I contributed much so far, but I'm really interested on on where this is going. And so, so the the official narrative is that um, you know Israel, and it depends on if you're doing the official um, Christian narrative that uh, believes that you know Israel is fulfilling a fulfillment of bible prophecy um and they believe that you know the jews are a people and they will argue that they're genetically linked they are the genetic descendants of abraham isaac and jacob now that just falls apart right because you have ethiopian jews you have persian jews you have iraqi jews you have eastern european jews um it's it's ridiculous to propose that all these people have a genetic uh, genetic link to abraham that's stronger than, say, the genetic link the average member of Hamas has to Abraham. So Shlomo Sand, in his book, The Invention of the Jewish People, he asserts that, you know, the average member of Hamas has a closer genetic linkage to Abraham than do any of these white European settlers that came over, you know, during the last hundred years. But the other thing would be the religion, right? Well, okay, you're, you're Jew because you, you identify with the religion of Judaism. But the problem is the vast majority of people in Israel aren't religious. They don't adhere to any, um, to, they're not Jew Jewish in the religious sense. You know, they claim a cultural heritage, but they're, they're not, you know, uh, believing religious Jews. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's, uh, these things are, are you know, if you, if you have the time to research the, the official narrative, it becomes obvious, doesn't hold any water. And, you know, uh, if you if you think about it deeply enough, you realize that you know Israel ought not deserve our support for their terrorism, ethnic cleansing, and land theft that continues and has gone on for the last hundred years. Has to um, be said. But a lot of people are you know too busy and they just kind of passively absorb the Western uh, indoctrination that that we're, we're all subjected to. So it's, uh, a, big, a big problem is although I will say I'm surprised about how much pro-Palestinian um, expression is percolating in the media. But the big problem is, is the big lie propaganda machine. I mean, you know, they, I, they said um, there was a, um, a UFA, the, you know, the European, European football. Oh, yeah. The, Europe, the European Football Association is telling people, you can't have, you can't fly Palestinian flags in any of the stadiums, you know, in Europe. Well, they're doing it. Oh, Celtic had, Celtic, which is a Scottish one, they just dressed everything up. The latest yeah. I've seen was an Irish team. And that's the thing that this is in the West. What is called the Global South is automatically with Palestine because they know yeah, the boots, yeah. you know, everywhere. But even in the West, I mean, I, I monitored last week and I got to about two dozen cities in the collective West where there were these mass, mass protests. I mean, things have changed. For Palestine. For Palestine. Pro Palestine. I have to point out, even within Israel, 
there are a lot of pro-Palestine voices, right? Uh, there, there are a lot of good Israelis who recognize the injustice that has gone on for 75 years, right? There's a diversity of opinion within even Israeli media. There's a lot oh, yeah. of criticism of uh, the administration and they're uh, continuing. Oh, yeah. And they want Netanyahu policy. out, rightly. Yeah, yeah. Po policy of, uh, of the, the apartheid re regime. I mean, they're, they're actually they're not. Uh, many of them have been um, have been suppressed. But actually, even today in, in Israeli media, there's a there's some dissenting voices. There's a, there's a diversity of opinion. Compare that to Europe. Compare that to, to Germany. Like any dissent is just completely suppressed. They just last week, they arrested Jewish pro-Palestinian pro demonstrators here in Germany. It's absolutely insane. Let me I mean, add to that point, and, and it also kind of talks about what Jeff was saying about, you know, Judaism in the Torah. And I think, you know, I think Leo gets it right in that, you know, the Zionism is a perversion of Judaism. And, you know, there's a way to interpret, you know, um, the Torah in a way that, you know, makes it okay for Jews to, to do unto others before they do unto them, <laughs> which, you know, which... Which, but but there's also you know the Orthodox Jews. There's a lot of Orthodox Jews in in New York City, for instance, and they're pro-Iran. They're anti-Zionist. So so there's you know there's a good um, you know religion is like it's like you can you do know, that with any people. holy book, can't you? What's, what's that? You can do that with any holy book. You can use it exactly this exactly. So it's very malleable, and you know it depends on what your interests are, and you know what kind of a person you are. That's the kind of religion you're going to get from your holy book. But um, I want to I want to get the best from the holy books. And so I denounce, you know, Zionism and interpretations of holy books that, um, you know, are bad for humanity. When I when I talk to people about the Old Testament and all the it's just, it's, I mean, Genocide. In my opinion, when I in my opinion, it's a pretty god awful piece. God -awful yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, it's amazing it's, that God, it's, it's, God slept through all that. Yeah. Anyway. And, and and they say, well, don't don't read those parts. Just read the good parts. Yeah. And 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 then, and then but my and then I but I say, yeah. What the problem is is our our world leaders are the ones that read the bad parts. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> exclusively. And they you have know, the, you the know, Zionists the are the ones that read the same passages in the Torah. It's the okay. Neocons. To, yeah, neocons. The, 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 the fundamentalist Christians only yeah. read the most horrible parts of the, yeah. the Christian Bible yeah. as well. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they have nukes, you know. That includes Netanyahu, that includes Biden. That's a, a scary concept. What what are we gonna, what are we to make of the near term future? Um, you know, I read no Alexander Mercurius yesterday was alleging that two more carrier groups are on on their way. You know, are being deployed. He was suggesting that makes four total in the Mediterranean. Now, okay. I didn't get any um, confirmation of that. I tried to check the news to see if there were in fact two two additional carrier groups, but we know of the two that are already headed to the Mediterranean. Um, assuming, you know, two more on deployment, like, uh, do we, do we, can we see clearly that the U S is looking for a war with Iran? Um, or is it, is it bravado? Is it an attempt to, um, just, 
um, warn Iran not to intervene if there is an invasion of Gaza. Like, Jeff, I want to hear your take on what the short-term future um, portends in, in Israel-Palestine. Well, you know, of course, we know Iran is funding the Houthis in Yemen. We know Iran is funding, you know, Hezbollah in southern Iran. We know that the Iranians have uh, forces, forces in Iraq. Um, we know that they have, they're helping Syria. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I, I think Iran is like China. It really does not want to get into a hot war. I mean, it, they've got 80 million people. They're, they're you know, they're, they're, they're the econ- their economy is suffering from all the sanctions. I think Iran Iran would like to avoid a hot war right now. And this is so clearly, I mean, you can just see it in the headlines. Biden tells Netanyahu to, to, to hold off on the invasion. And the United States is going to help with the invasion. Palestine is the new Ukraine. The United States was using is using Ukraine to attack Russia, and the United States is using, well, Israel, if you want, to attack the Arab world. But basically, that's what it boils down to. You know, I, I think it would be a, a, an embarrassment for the West if Iran does get involved. I think what they'll try to do is try to keep feeding as much material to Hezbollah. Remember, Hezbollah has not gotten involved at all so no. far. Just some skirmishes. They took out a few tanks. and The equivalent of throwing a rock, yeah. They really yeah, didn't yeah, get... yeah. But Hezbollah is the 800-pound gorilla. They're the ones that have over 100,000 missiles. They're the ones that really, really scare Israel. They're the ones that kicked Israel's ass in 2006. I mean, Israel got its ass waxed in 2006 by Hezbollah. And now Hezbollah is much, much more powerful than it was. So I think, I mean, you know, in my sort of bravado, you know, I'd love to see, you know, Iran raining, you know, missiles down on, you know, Israeli airports and American bases, you know, occupying forces in Syria and in Iraq, but the people can't afford it. And, and all the United States would do would just, you know, rain missiles down. And of course, in Iran would try to avoid civilian casualties. The United States would be dropping bombs on downtown Tehran and, and Isfahan and they don't give a shit. You know, they'll be bombing schools and hospitals. I mean, that's what we do. And so I I think what's going to, you know, obviously the, the ground thing is going to work. They're going to they're going to pull it off. I was a little bit alarmed. I mean, I'm sure his I'm sure Hamas and Hezbollah must have thought about this. But I heard that the that that the that Israel was talking about flooding or pumping uh, nerve, nerve gas, gas. And, yes. and nerve gas into the tunnels of Hamas and. And uh, I don't know what that would do. I don't and, know if 
it specifically Hamas, said with U.S. The, Navy's um, administration or something like that. So yeah, it's not yeah. just us. You know? Yeah, yeah, of course. And I think the two extra aircraft carrier units are so that the U.S. will be trying to take out as many Hezbollah, you know, missiles as possible. Um, you know, apparently, I don't know if it's true or not, but they put an aircraft carrier unit over in the Persian Gulf that apparently had a good effect against the Houthis drones. I don't, you know, you know, from <coughs> from bombing, from bombing Saudi. That's supposed to be resolved, but it never seems to end. Uh, Saudi uh, forces, you know, still 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 occupying Yemen. So this is clearly another proxy war. The United States with France and England and Germany. Um, again, the only the only the only two countries in in Europe that have any any integrity and and any sense of history and any sense of decency are Hungary and, and Serbia. And, uh, and one person in Spain. Let me just add <laughs> that because that woman is a legend. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Orban and and and, and, and Vulcic, and they're they're the only two. The the, the rest of France. I mean, I. I I, I see the 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 TV in France. It's just like I just want to vomit, you know, listening to Macron and, and you know many Micron. And uh, so I, that's what I, you know, I think Hezbollah will have to get involved. I mean, if they if they go in full force into Gaza, Hezbollah will um, go into um, will 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 attack, you know, uh, Israel. I think another a very interesting one is Iraq and Syria attacking the illegal forces there. You know, the Iraqis a year and a half ago asked the Americans to leave. Of course, they're an occupying force. They're, they're occupying the eastern third of Syria. And I, and I saw a headline, General, you know, whatever his name says that the United States has been attacked by Self-defense. Uh, yeah, yeah self-defense. 12 times in Syria and uh, no, 12 times. Was it 12 times in Iraq and three times in Syria? You know, I don't know. That would be an interesting play because, of course, Iran could flood, could flood across the border, you know, all kinds of nastiness to to cause the Americans, you know, hell, you know, in in, in Iraq and uh, in Syria. So interesting times. But there's clearly going to be a war, and yeah. uh, just like in Ukraine, and uh, and to sit there and say, "Oh, this just happened." No, this started. This started happening in 1917, and and you know, with with the Balfour Declaration, and and uh, million millions of people have been slaughtered and exterminated and and ethnically cleansed over this over the generations. So. Uh, that's my take. It's not maybe not a brilliant answer, but um, no, 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 I was, I agree on major points, but I'd yeah. like to sort of add a little bit of a wrinkle or my thinking. Anybody seen the new Economist cover, which is a British billionaires magazine and the main story of it? It's it's no. Amer America's test of might or something like that. America is supposed to show in the Middle East that it is mighty because most of the world doubts it. They see America in decline. So the Brits are very much cheering this on but go back not much a couple of months we had the BRICS, uh, the belt and road forum right 
expanded to BRICS 11. It wasn't going to include Saudi Arabia. It was going to include the UAE, right? Uh, and of course, China made that amazing diplomatic um, strike like this, ended the Yemen war. The Saudis were getting around with Iran. That what's, I mean, earlier it was the, the Sunni crescent uh, around the Wahhabis, and that turned into, I think, um, Scott Ritter described it as the cross of chaos. And it was diffused, you know? The whole region was going into a peaceful reconciliation, and that's when the U.S. and the – I'm not sure about this whole, you know, what is it called now? 10-7? The 10-7 attack, right? Uh, where it came from, you know, Pied Piper versus real intelligence failure. I'm with a real intelligence failure, but the reaction was absolute panic. And now, you know, all of that progress, that's what it seems lost because the multipolar polar world is just marching around the border. And that means expulsion of the U.S.'s influence from many, many regions. And this was the region that they said, you know, fuck Ukraine. We're not going to let this happen because this is this is oil nation. This is oil central. And that's why, you know, they're just moving ahead and ahead. Just it's signals. It's posturing. That's that's why we're going to get. Did you say four carrier groups for holy? How many does the U.S. have? That's a good question. I know there's two in the Mediterranean. Alexander Mercurius was saying that he heard yesterday morning that two more were being deployed and he, he suspected they were going to go to that area of the world. But I couldn't get any independent confirmation of that. But that was something yeah. he said on his YouTube. And yet the, lot. the escalation always comes from the Western side. What I've heard from Iran, both at the UN level and at home is don't, don't, don't. This could, this could get, get out of control. Please don't fucking do this. And always from the other side, this thing. I, I agree with uh, Jeff on that, that Iran, it, it's not in its interest, but it's not because it's poor and under sanctions. It's it's finally opening up to the world of the sanctions. You know, it would be in, the, in, a, in a group with China, you know, North Korea, Russia, who'd no longer give a toss about the sanctions. And it can start exporting, you know, in the Constitution, scientific is enshrined in Iran's constitution every year. They have the equivalent amount of um, mathematicians and engineers as the United States has. You mentioned they had 80 million people, right? The U.S. has 330 million. It's a highly advanced scientific. They built an automotive industry from the ground up. I mean, these are serious, sophisticated people that don't want this. But they, if, if America engages, I don't know if this is from Mercurius, but I agree, it's going to be a catastrophe for them. Of course, the rest of the world as well. But for, for the U.S., <coughs> And just to add to your earlier point about what China is doing in the region, in the Western Asia re- region, besides the, the diplomatic um, inroads, building, uh, uh, yes, um, be, yeah. Besides the rapprochement that China was able to broker, um, uh, that is going to create long-term stability and, and peace, or towards that. Um, China is the first part of his, of China's engagement with Iraq is building one thousand schools. That's oh, only the first part. I recently watched someone travel through the country. Do you know where the most cranes, where the most construction is right now in West Asia? That where? is Afghanistan, and they didn't make it to a lot of uh, international forums, but they were there at the at the Belt and Road Forum, man. That's Absolutely, a serious, and also li- lifting of status, and yeah. Absolute, absolute. Um, and also, I just heard about this today. China has just completed the first high-speed rail in Western Asia between connecting, get this, Mecca and Medina. Oh, the two most holy places. Uh, I mean, this is, uh, this is a seismic. This is uh, epic. This is world historic for Islamic people of the Islamic faith 
all over the world. I mean, they're from Mecca to Medina. I mean, <laughs> that's like world historic. I guess the next step would have been to go to Al-Aqsa, and that couldn't happen. You know, that couldn't be allowed to happen. Maybe I have a. a I want to. I do want to point out. I think the resolve of. I do want to go back to a little bit to Palestine. I. I can't. I'm looking for his email and I can't find it. Just like Amir's book about the history of the Jewish people, and I apologize for not being better prepared. But anyway, he has. He's a really cool guy. He's a. He's a Palestinian. He wrote a book about the cooperation between the hunger strikers in Ireland and the hunger strikers in, uh, in uh, Palestine. It was really interesting. He's, he's a There's professor. a lot of that graffiti still in Ireland. I'm, I'm, yeah, you might yeah, be aware yeah, of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there is. And he wrote a, and he, anyway, he, he's from Palestine. He's a professor in Turkey. And uh, anyway, I just, he just got, he, he just sent an email and unfortunately, I'm muffing his name, and I can't. I'm not spelling his name right. Did you say it was uh, Amir Khan? Was his name Amir Khan? No, no, Amir's China Writers Group. Okay, okay, somebody else. <laughs> anyway, he just said, "I have lost nine relatives in oh. Gaza. Nine. Enough yeah. is enough." And then just yesterday, and what I'm trying to find is, he said that he said that. The Palestinian people have decided that the 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 era of ethnic cleansing is over, and that and he said that the Palestinian the Palestinian people have decided that there is no that there is no uh, paradise in 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 the Sinai. In other words, they're they're going to fight. They're going to fight. And they're, 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 this is it. They're, 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 they put up with this humiliation since 1917. And I think I think that there's going to be a lot of people killed. Thousands and thousands and thousands will be killed. You know, but they killed, you know, they killed eight million. They killed eight million North Koreans and the Americans still lost. They killed three million Vietnamese and they still lost. They killed millions of people all over the world. And the Americans have still continued to lose. And so, but I, I think it's going to be really, really, really bloody. I, I, I just, I think the, the, I think there's going to be a lot of Palestinian martyrs, and, um, and, and I just, you know, I, I think that, uh, and let's just keep our fingers crossed that it turns out to be as, as big a disaster for the Americans as Ukraine is. I think it will. Yeah. Uh, on your first page, it's really heartbreaking. You can find um, what you call when there's more than one message, uh, threads on X yeah, about thread, the, last, yeah. the last messages of Mart before people got martyred. Uh, and it's like full of, I don't care if I go to heaven, we will one, be, one day be free. It's like a, a testament to people's will. Absolutely amazing. And I um, downloaded, it was like a huge, many hundred page PDF, the latest, um, the Palestine Medical uh, Association, something like that, the death report. The first 43 names were identical. That's, that's like an extended family gone, absolutely mm -hmm. gone. It, it's absolutely, it's, it's heartbreaking. But uh, at the time when I left for my thing I had to do today, uh, the last thing I saw was Douglas McGregor and Scott Ritter both mentioned that, I couldn't find this anywhere official at the time, that there was this little expeditionary force, like a little taste, tasty bud thing that the Israelis and the US sent mm -hmm. into Gaza, into the bombarded region, and they were dead. And they were gone. Uh, so again, treat this as as rumor for uh, scuttlebutt for the time being. But if that's true, 
that's fucking significant because the news about okay we're going to delay we're not going to sign the military uh, order to actually commence with the uh, invasion that came out a couple of hours after this maybe maybe they're read maybe they're reading ho chi minh's uh, papers on people on the people's war okay, absolutely <laughs> the, the the hamas and and uh, i'm sure the the hezbollah fighters have been studying uh Viet Cong tactics mm -hmm. extensively over the years not only in recent years but yeah which 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 were which were of course influenced by Mao Zedong and the and the, and the people's army in Absolutely. China. Absolutely. I mean, well, yeah, Ho Chi Minh met Mao and, yeah. and, and, and lapped up everything Mao talked about as far as people's war. And so uh, let's hope, let's hope that that's what it turns into. And, um, I, you know, yeah, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, I think it's going to be a bloody one. Yeah, I'm just going to drop one more name because Kim Il-sung did the same, you know, asymmetric warfare. And even the Japanese praised him, you know, when your enemies praise you, that, that means you're someone. Kim Il-sung, the original. Oh, Kim Il-sung. Yes, yes. Yeah, Maybe he, the pronunciation, he, he, sorry. Yeah, he was another one, of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, just looking at, look, you know, I'm not an expert in military matters, but, you know, from everything I'm reading and everything that I'm, you know, looking at, there's just no way that Israel and the U.S. are not going to get their asses thoroughly handed to them. Diplomatically, militarily uh just in terms of like everything on in ev on every angle soft power is lost as well absolutely i guess that's part of dip it's not part of diplomacy soft power is down the drain now nobody's going to believe you that you're, you're you're for human rights and democracy after this let me yeah. let me throw something out there let me throw an idea out there i mean assuming there's just the two carrier task forces and um they do start you know attacking iran with missiles and planes Iran, you know, might try and block the Straits of Hormuz, which 20% of the world's oil goes through there and 25% of the world's um, natural gas goes through the Straits of Hormuz. So that would cause a global economic crisis, right? And so Iran's doctrine isn't really to project force and win an offensive war against another country. It's to hunker down, defend themselves and where, you know, and, and outlast whoever is trying to destroy them. So that's, you know, they can do that through attrition and through um, causing economic distress throughout the planet. But what if the U.S. wants that, right? What if the U.S. is looking for a global economic catastrophe as justification to then implement a wider war against China, against shipping lanes? Um, so, I, you know, that kind of worries me. I've been thinking along those it's, lines. It's increasingly worrying me too, but there's one problem. Have you checked like a topographical map of Iran? It's like from every direction. It's just uh, it's basically a fortress of mountains. You need to, I think, uh, refuel your F-18 bomber jet twice just to get to Tehran from the fucking beach. And that American carrier is not on the beach. And Iran has the Fatah, the hypersonic missile, for which yeah. this is a sitting. Of course, the U.S. is dominant air force, dominant air force. That has been their their major motto for the last 20 years since you know they've been killing shepherds and, and a lot of a lot of people don't know that Hezbollah, which apparently has thousands of kilometers of tunnels, and Iran, which has thousands of kilometers of tunnels, you know who they cooperated with to learn all that? North Korea. DPRK, of course. North, yeah. North, North Korea, DPRK, has been working for 20, 30 years with Iran and Hezbollah 
to teach them tunnel technology because that's what the North Koreans had to do when the United States was <coughs> literally <coughs> rebombing rubble in yeah. the northern half of Korea, exterminating eight million people. Mm-hmm. They had to they had to dig tunnels and, and get as many people out of. They leveled uh, Pyongyang. It was like yeah, glass. yeah. <coughs> so. I think the, the 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 question for Iran and, and, and listen, man, I don't know if you all know who Ramin Mazahari Ramin Mazahari is, but uh, I don't. You know, a wonderful wonderful journalist. His book about you know socialist Islamic Iran is just unbelievable, and I can tell you, if it means victory, millions of Iranians are ready to die. Millions oh. are, re- are are ready to die. Just look they at are some- ready to die. And so look, go ahead. Go ahead, Ben. No, I was going to just going to say, just look at some of their uh, they have these. Uh, I forget the word now, like religious but singing leaders and just the spirit you get when they um, uh, I think, hey, dar, hey, dar, that means lion, lion. Uh, and it's, it's all about uh, we're ready to be um, to sacrifice ourselves for Palestine. For, for the brotherly people there. Uh, the, the public opinion is, again, it's like uh, Russia for nine years, uh, Putin kind of held back his people. Don't go in, don't go in. They wanted to go in. Iran is the same. I, Iran is holding back its people because they want to go in basically now. I had another thought, but... That happens. Yeah, oh, yeah. You talked about one point of asymmetric warfare, the one the DPRK practices, the one that Hamas practice, underground insurrection. But everybody keeps forgetting that it's like 30 years since NATO's and the U.S.'s prime. And as I started saying, their um, mantra, their the doctrinal response is Air Force, flatten everything, and then we go in with a few people, clean up. And Russia has been advancing since the 2000s in the absolute opposite direction. Is that your strategy? We're going to get, build the best air defense in the world. The S-400, now identified by Sergei Shoigu, uh, shot down something like 24 jets in five days. Uh, and they absolutely say this outright, saying, you can try this. I, I, this is a meme, but it's a cute meme. Uh, someone said, look, the A-10, and look at all the things that the A-10 killed. It's the, the tankular warthog air- aircraft that NATO has. And they sent somewhere into the region. And the meme was, uh, what does uh, the Air 10 pilot do when faced with real anti-aircraft uh, missiles? One, die, because that is it. So, it, I mean, hypersonic missiles were built to cut through every defense that the U.S. has. China has them, Iran has them, Russia has them, and it's proven it in Ukraine. And, and, and the DPRK. You know, yeah, I mean, they were saying, send in the newer tank, send in the new, the, you sent the Patriots, send, send in something newer. We want to test it against all of this because we can smash them to bits easily on the first week uh, it's 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 absolutely been uh, dismal for for the image of the u.s um what do you call it armed forces if they really want to try this with iran that's where i think see that's asymmetric too and they they, don't, they, they still think it's 1990 i think not the military leaders not the pentagon but these uh, you know um blinkens the bidens maybe the newland kagans they, they still think like that and for them, this is the prize. We have to destroy Syria, get the Ruskies out, and we have to destroy Iran because it's the bad boy. You know? But it's asymmetric. That, so that we have point. general agreement. There's not a military, a, a, a good military option for the for the West against Iran um, in in the Middle East. It's, it, um, you know, I, I I'm liable to believe that, but um, you know, I'm worried that the U.S. has the capability to stand way off and to just um, you know destroy cities. 
destroy civilian infrastructure um, and, and, and suffer relatively light consequences as a result. But I hope I hope that's not true. No, I mean, Russia and China are both standing by. The six warships from China are parked uh, in the vicinity. I mean, uh, in official, Doha, yeah. official Chinese statement says that they are there to escort some uh, shipping or whatever. But Diplomatic mission. Uh, good, goodwill, goodwill visit, something like that. Yeah. But that's yeah, yeah. diplomacy, yeah. But they are, they are ready and they're standing by. And the Russian hypersonic missiles, uh, the U.S., uh, military has no answer for. Right. Absolutely. Well, I, I would point out neither Russia nor China has any kind of defensive pact with Iran. Like there's no there's no agreement that if Iran is under attack that, you know, Russia and China are going to defend them. True, but um, look at the level the of United coordination. The United States has stated that they're going to defend Israel, right? The United States says they're going to defend Israel. They asked Britain and Germany and France to do the same. Um, let's look, not forget even Russia and China. Go ahead. Go ahead, Ben. I'll be quick. Even Russia and China, they never said we're allies. We are in this strategic partnership uh, of the 21st century or something. Yeah. And they have been coordinating so deeply. It's like it's up to your eyeballs. And they've done the same diplomatically with Iran. I mean, where did the um, uh, foreign minister, uh, Abdullahian, I think, fly? He flew to Moscow. That is the diplomatic heart now of the world. And he knows it because the UN has proved to be useless in this. But Jeff had a thought. I'm sorry. I just had to speak. I just wanted to point out, but don't forget... Iran is now a member of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. And BRICS 11 from January 1. Yep. And Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which includes China and Russia, um, is a was was first set up as a military cooperative cooperative for military cooperation. Now it's a lot more. Now it's economic. Oh, I thought it was just economic, like the EU no, once upon a time. Like I, well, I, th I think there's a, there's a military. They do they do cooperation together. They do uh, exercises together. I think that you know Iran, you know, could sit there and, and say to could say to China and Russia, you know, hey, we're being attacked. We need your help. You know, I don't think they would come out and openly do it, but they could sure provide them with a lot of materiel and equipment. Yeah. Which I'm I'm sure that China and, and and DPRK are already supplying arms to to Russia. I think it's pretty pretty obvious. Not heavy duty stuff, drones and stuff, but it's pretty obvious. Yeah, so, thank uh, God you know, Russia and Iran did support Syria and did um, defend Syria militarily and Hezbollah. Um, but again, that was against a proxy, right? That wasn't against the U.S. directly. Um, uh, so. It'll be gamesmanship and brinksmanship, and it'll be very interesting the next couple of weeks to see how everything plays out. It seems like the U.S. has asked Israel, hold off. We're getting all of our assets in place, our anti-air, our carrier groups, and then um, and then go go ahead. And to, to see how that plays out in the next couple of weeks will be momentous. It'll be yeah. something that we see, you know, every century kind of thing. Yeah, and the whole world diplomatically knows this is green lighting a genocide. They know it. It's, it's obvious. Once that thing starts, uh, all bets are off. I don't know what happens next. But I think oh. the major... Sorry, uh, you, Jeff, had made that wonderful thing, the 80-pound gorilla or something? 800-pound gorilla. 800-pound gorilla. I, I saw that somewhere, exactly the same phrasing, and it was about Turkey because, you yeah. know, the second largest standing army... They're, I mean, support, they're supporting Palestine. And they, they I've never seen Erdogan come out like this. There's, there's um, what do you call them, domestic reasons for this, like splitting yeah. with Kemalism and going the uh, 
the Muslim uh, path, especially for the generals. But it, it was serious. Uh, and I don't think it's, it's you know, it, it, he's mostly still uh, what you would call a paper tiger. I mean, he's Iran, the half, a quarter of Iran. Uh, when you come come to the technology, the 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 the, the real force uh, there, uh, I I still don't think Turkey's, you know, that big. It has a big standing army, but that's it. And it's a member of NATO. Yeah, and that that's in question now by some uh, Republican, uh, I think yeah. senator or House representative hinted that they want to kick him. Well, good luck. Another interesting thing is, is I got. Um, I'll bring up two other points. I don't yeah. know how long your shows go, but I'll bring up a couple other points. Um, is, is that there apparently is not a lot of solidarity in the Israeli Defense Force. Most of these are young conscripts. They don't want to be there. <coughs> it was a-okay, you know, to shoot kids, you know, across, you know, who were throwing rocks at you. But it was not okay. But it's not okay to have Hamas with some serious firepower shooting back. And so there's, I've, I've been hearing that there are, there's dissension in, in some of the ranks. And that was also another reason that Netanyahu was trying to maybe postpone things was to try to, you know, reinforce the morale of the soldiers. I don't know how true that is. It's just, it's actually was something Godfrey Roberts put on uh, the China writers group. Um, the other thing is, I'm just, you know, Israel has done a, an, excellent excellent job insinuating itself into the into the arab world and it's shocking to see a map of all the arab countries that now have diplomatic relations with israel you know morocco and egypt and the you know gulf states and has saudi did saudi arabia ever do i don't think saudi no, arabia no. has the, not the, yet uh, the BRICS thing would have, you know, made peace between Iran and Saudi Arabia. And basically Biden's answer was, look, I'm going to give you all the stuff you want. Even they call it the civilian nuclear program. But I think we can guess what that would have been. We're going to give you all the good stuff, but you have to um, recognize Israel. That was yeah. the deal. And it's yeah. dead now. Yeah. Well, you know, the, 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 the standouts, you know, Tunisia is now saying, is now talking about, I actually lived there for two years. Uh, Tunisia is now talking about passing a law. <laughs> <clears throat> making it against the law to recognize Israel. Algeria is definitely in the, you know, the revolutionary camp. Uh, but uh, there's, there's just too many other countries, you know, you know, that, that shit. And I just wonder if they, if, if, if it, if it really spills over and go and goes into a hot war, will, any, will they, will they, you know, stop it, relations with Israel? I don't know. I, I just don't know. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of pressure on them from their people like the, the governments are pliable, um, you know, puppets, Western puppets uh, in a lot of those countries. But the actual populations of the country are definitely on the side of Palestine. Mm -hmm. So and so yeah. it puts these countries, these governments in a very tough situation. I That's mean, a really good point. Also, second point on this, that they can speak really tough in diplomacy. We've seen Qatar, you know, um, not cancel the invitation of Joe Biden. Egypt has gone all out, brothers and sisters. In, in But they have massive U.S. bases on their soil. Yeah. That kind of that kind of nips any of that in the bud, in my opinion. But those um, military bases are, I mean. Jordan, the same. The king of Jordan was very passionate, but he has the largest fucking base, U.S. Yeah. base. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Leo. No, no, I'm just saying, like those military bases can be uh, can be dismantled as well. Yeah, 
I want to, I, I was just thinking, you know, thinking that Russia cannot afford to lose Ukraine. China is not going to let you, Russia lose Ukraine. Um, and I was just sitting there thinking how important Iran is to China for the BRICS, for the Belt and Road Initiative and for the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. I'm just, I'm just sitting there wondering, thinking Russia and China are probably quite quietly saying the same thing. We can't let Iran lose. No, you know, we cannot let we cannot let them lose. I mean, that then, then then Americans would be, you know, back on the Afghan border. Very, 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 very close to the Chinese border and uh, on the border with uh you know, on the border with India and everybody else. And of course, India's in the SCO too. Yeah, so, oh, let's not talk about India. It always depresses well, I me. I know, I know. It's it's a mess. But anyway, I just, I, I think that, and, and, and China has been unusually forthright about supporting Palestine this last couple of weeks. I mean, they're, they're coming out and basically, they're, they've pissed the, the, the Israelis off. They're, oh, know, yeah. They, they, the Israelis are not happy with the Chinese because the Chinese are saying that this did not, that this has been going on for 75 years. So, and, there, and, and it's because there's, there's no two state solution in sight. And you so, know, the Chinese uh, administration are very careful, are, are very, they, they say everything like, uh, everything's, you know, in reality, 10 times more <coughs> stronger than what they say. Yeah. And, and any statements, any positions that they put forth is like very, very well thought out. And it has to be advantageous, not not only ideologically or, or concerning like any other thing, but pragmatic, pragmatically. Right. I, I don't have it in front of me, but I'll paraphrase it. But just so you know, China doesn't do this lightly. Once every 10 years, maybe it's so serious. This was Premier Li Chang, Quang. I'm not sure the pronunciation. Li Keqiang. Yeah. Thank you, Li Chang. And he had this that much. It's about two paragraphs. And it was a statement saying we support uh, Iran, especially against um, foreign meddling in its internal affairs. It's a huge commitment from China. That is unusual from uh, you know the foreign mm -hmm. ministry. It was it. Yeah, it I, I don't think it's leaped in my radar. Yeah, I don't think it's possible for the uh, the West to overthrow the government of Iran. I think they can do damage to the economy, to the infrastructure. They could probably kill millions of people, but they they would need to occupy the country to get rid of the government. So that's not even a possibility. Like the government's there, they they know they can't get rid of the government. But the question is, are they going to you know do their best to just to, to push them back twenty years, you know, economically, kind of thing. Well, like Ben pointed out, you look at a map of, of Iran, it's like the Himalaya Mountains, man. <laughs> exactly. Look at the topography. And don't forget that ever since the Shah, they have been watching America closely. They've been very, very sanctioned, like more sanctioned than Russia and what, uh, at one point. And every plan they have made has been exactly in this direction. That's why most of these drone facilities, the hypersonic missiles, they're deep underground. You can't even reach yeah, them with bunker yeah. busters. They're proud of this. <coughs> People who came up with some sort of new um, meshing of uh, metals and concrete that has the most stopping power against these bunker busters. It came from Iran, that technology. You know, they're not incompetent people. And it, uh, usually everybody thinks it's all about the Ayatollah. It isn't. It's very decentralized. There's these basiege councils uh, everywhere around. And the, and the, and the charity counts and the charity councils and 
Yeah. That's what I think. I think most people misunderstand what Iran is. is And Iran is is first and foremost a very socialist country. It's extremely socialist. They don't call themselves that, but in effect, just like Russia doesn't call itself that, you know, they yeah, say yeah. not not capitalism, but it, but Islam. That that's the official um, yeah. Iranian yeah. way. But it's highly more um, people focused than anything in Western Europe, say, even the yeah. the Nordic uh, welfare state. The, the socialist project in Iran has deep, deep roots. It has been it has been sidelined. It has been uh, derailed by by U.S. proxy wars. The the Iraq. <laughs> The, the war between Iraq and Iran uh, can be seen absolutely as a proxy war, um, maybe the first one. Um, oh, yeah, in 88. Yeah, that massively uh, derailed the socialist project. But even before then, the, the U.S.-backed regime change operation, the... the <coughs> but those roots are strong as, as ever. Iran is, I put it like this, far more technological, of course, but it's like the the people of Cuba. You know, you can land whatever you want on on the shores of Cuba. (laughs) Those people are going to be out in the streets within hours uh, and it's just going to dismantle whatever you send to them. Another another country that knows people's war very, very well. (laughs) So ultimately, there's... Go Go ahead. All right, Leo, thank you so much for joining us. It's been See great. You later. We've been going a long time. I was going to make a final point about the um, ultimate. You don't have to wait. For, okay, uh, you know, the, the optimism. Like there is there is ultimately the decline of the West and the rise of China. And, you know, the, the anti-imperialist block is, is it's, um, what's that word? Um, inevitable. <laughs> Irreversible. So, yeah. irreversible I think um, anything the U.S. tries to do militarily to forestall that inevitability is going to just accelerate their own decline. So yeah. ultimately, I, I have no no concern about how things are going to play out. But it's interesting to, you know, to speculate about, you know, how things are going to actually how that how that actually does play out. Um, but. So yeah, don't I don't want to I don't want people to think that I'm I'm pessimistic or that um, I'm worried that the West has any kind of cards to play um, against the just the changing shift from from uni, unipolarism to multipolarism because that's 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 just it's a, it's an inevitability. I think I think it's a good. T- well, go ahead and say something, Ben, and then I'd All like right. to I'd you like will to have- close it out. Jeff, you will have the very last word on today's show, but I just wanted to add that there's four pillars of power that any country can practice. First is political. That's your alliances, the, the, the people who vouch for you at the UN. U.S. has lost that. I mean, the Russian UN resolution, like seven staunch allies of the U.S. abstained, which has never, ever happened, happened before. You know, that's amazing. Second is ideological. I mean, we are the, the free uh, market, the democracy, the human rights. That's gone. Uh, I mean, what, what else is there? There's military. Uh, and the, the third one is fourth one is economic, but even that looks down the drain with the absolute uh, increasing like trillions and trillions just to service the debt that the U.S. has while everybody is selling uh, U.S. treasuries and buying gold. It, it looks like the end game, and the only thing Biden has in his he doesn't have a deck of cards. He has one card, military, and that is a sign of of dire weakness. That's that's what I I, I put at the end. Jeff, take it away. Well, Ben and I live in Europe. I, you're in Europe? I didn't... Yeah, I'm in Good. France. I'm in Normandy. And 
Billy Bob, in Europe, we like to eat. <laughs> and our cuisine is really good. Hungarian cuisine and French cuisine are really good. And it's 1945. It's 745 in the evening in, in Hungary and France. I think Ben and I are going to go have a wonderful, wonderful European meal in our own cuisines. And Billy Bob, I hope you can suffer through. I hope you can suffer through it. Amer American, American, American cuisine because it's not the same thing. Throw that in my face, Jeff, as you leave. Name on you, sir. Damn. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Just based on accents, I thought Leo and I were the smoking European team and you were no, the American no. team. No, no, I, I live in Normandy, Cherbourg. Yeah. Oh, good. Jeff, thanks for giving us so much of your time. I It's, it's an well, honor to, to be with you. Uh, and to, to, to you know have this discussion with you. So I thank you so much. Ben, I'm glad you were able to make it a little belatedly. We'll be back on Tuesday. You know, we have a we have some more big names on Tuesday. We got Larry Johnson and oh, um, wow. Max. Max, um, what's what's Max's last name? Blumenthal, maybe? No, your friend Max. Uh, your friend Jeff, your friend Max. Shoot, his name escapes. Oh, me. Max Perry. Yes, oh. thank you. So Max Perry and Larry Johnson on, wow. on Tuesday's program. So uh I'm excited about that. But no, uh, Jeff, thank you so much. We will um, hopefully have you back. Um, oh, I'll be if, back on. And I'm so, so happy to meet Ben. I'm, and of course, nice to meet you halfway through. Yeah, well, we're not very far away from each other. We're nope. <laughs> Hungary and France is a, t is, is a high speed train right away. True. And uh, well, maybe a connection or two, but we're, we're not very far. And you could literally uh, so, meet for dinner. <laughs> well, a little, a little bit late now. We could meet for, for, for breakfast tomorrow morning in Budapest. True. All right. And anyway, so good to see you, Billy Bob, and you know China Writers Group member, and of course Leo Zhao is one of my all. I, you know, I've interviewed him like three times or something. I've been he's been on my show like three. The guy's brilliant, and um, and I wish he'd write more. But um, anyway, he's he's just brilliant. So 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 honored and humbled to be here tonight. I apologize for my laryngitis. I apologize for coughing. I was looking for a button to mute myself and I couldn't find how to do it. I don't know if you can do it in stream or, or in, uh, in yeah, the, in, in the bottom there's the controls. The left one is me. Yeah. Your, right. your picture in the bottom, there's those three dots. I think oh, to me, the, but, the left, left hand. But, the uh, it, I didn't even notice anyway. Jeff. I did not even notice. Doesn't so, matter. Ne next time, next time I will use the mute button if I'm hacking. All right. Thanks guys. Bye, Jeff. Thank, Thank you. you so much. I'm going to go ahead and enjoy some nice Cabernet Sauvignon and have a nice meal. <laughs> okay. All bye, right. bye. Bye. Bye, everyone.